Thank you for tuning in to the 216th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. I'm going to have a great podcast for everybody today. I'm going to have Harrison Fagan on covers Los Angeles Lakers for SBN Sports Nation. Uh, we get a lot into LeBron James. Is LeBron James the GOAT? How LeBron compares to Michael Jordan? The Los Angeles Lakers run to the championship. At what point did Harrison himself know that the Lakers were the team to beat? We delve a little bit into the Clippers. Kind of who's the best player in the NBA? Lakers moves. DeMarcus Cousins. Rondo. Will they return? Uh, a lot of great conversation. A lot of great content. I truthfully really enjoyed having Harrison on. And I really appreciate him coming on the show. And actually, uh, I hope to have him again sometime on in the near future. Uh, great interview. Now, before we get to that, I also just want to let everybody know. So, the podcast is going to be a little different. I just want to let everybody know. Uh, on Mondays, I usually have Kenny Sim on, scouting expert for 247 Sports. And we recap everything NFL. But what we're going to do, since I'm going to be back in Cleveland, we're going to save the recap for Wednesday. Uh, I know we did that a couple of weeks ago when I was in Cleveland, but we're going to save it for Wednesday. And just so everybody knows, we're going to have a Facebook Live. Uh, and I think we might stream on Twitch or something if we can get that going too. But definitely, uh, and who knows, maybe we'll do it on Instagram too. Uh, but definitely for sure, we're going to be streaming on Facebook Live. We're going to be doing a recap uh, a recap of week eight of NFL action uh, and the Monday night game. So we'll do that Monday. We'll do the live stream on a Monday night. And the regular pod of that will be released on Wednesday. Now, for the regular Monday podcast, what I'll do is I'm going to have a 20 for 20. Uh, I'll probably tell you guys more about what that 20 for 20 is on Friday, on the Friday episode coming up, but we're going to have a 20 for 20 with Ben Karen, uh, host of the Sports Squabbler podcast that I'm going to release. So that's what we're going to do. So I just want to let everybody know. So next Monday, I'm going to have a 20 for 20 with me and Ben Karen. that's already been recorded. Going to have that to you on Monday. Then on Wednesday, going to have me and Kenny Simon recapping week eight of NFL action. And on Monday night, there's going to be a Facebook Live show going on that will be the recap that goes on the Wednesday podcast. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. Just let everybody know. Uh, so everybody knows what is going on there. Now, without ado, I want to get to uh, Harrison Fagan. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us today, Harrison Fagan. He's a Lakers beat writer and editor-in-chief for SBN Nation. How you doing, Harrison? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Like, uh, you know, this is the first uh, week where things have finally, like, slowed down a little bit since the championship, so it's been nice to get some downtime, but it's funny, like, uh, yesterday, um, my wife was already getting annoyed with me. I was like, okay, so it took less than two weeks for you to, like, need me to have basketball back again. Um, so, you know, like, it, 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 from, that, from that standpoint, things are not going well. But uh, I, I, think we'll be, I think we'll be all right, but I, I'm definitely going to have to find some hobbies because, like I, was, I, like, I walked in, she was, like, trying to set up her new iPhone, and I walked in and, like, started talking to her, and she's like, you need to find something to do. And I was like, okay, uh, all right. I mean, that's hurtful, but okay. Like, point, point taken. He's like, okay, I'll try to find something. Well, you know what they say. Happy yeah, I, wife. I can when I'm not wanted. I get it. I yeah, get it. Yeah. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah, 
And there's another thing, I don't know if you have kids or not, but there's another thing, you know, they say, when mom's happy... No, uh, no, well, no kids, just, uh, just a cat that does okay. not like me, so well, it's similar to having a teenager. Well, well, they say when mom's not happy, nobody's happy. When dad's not happy, nobody <laughs> cares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is how I remember it growing up in my house. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So, the Lakers, 17th championship. They tie the Boston Celtics. Uh, I don't know if you know, Ben, Bill Simmons uh, has a podcast, does a lot of stuff for the ringer. He says he does not count the Lakers, uh, I've, uh, like five of their championships, because five of them were in Minneapolis. I, I want to know what your statement would be to Bill about that. Well, you know, honestly, I think that his uh, his frequent uh, collaborator and former uh, Grantland employee, Zach Lowe, had the best, uh, like, you know, pushback on that, which was like, okay, like, if Celtics fans want to bring that up, you know, like, then we have to have the conversation about, like, nine of the Celtics titles when guys were still smoking in the locker room. Like, you know, like, look, like, if we're going to start talking about, like, I'm not sure, let's just say that I'm not sure that Boston is the, is the fan base that wants to start bringing up historical relevancy, when your success came, all of that stuff. Because, like, you know, we can have the conversation that, like, since Bill Russell, you have only won six titles, um, and which is not really that exceptional, if you think about it. And the Lakers have managed to do it across multiple eras, across multiple superstars, yeah, across multiple, like, management, coaching structures, whatever. They've won six since Bill Russell retired. So, like, I, I mean... Like, if they want to have that conversation about historical relevancy and, like, which titles count and all that stuff, like, we can have it. But I'm just not sure that that's, like, a rabbit hole that, like, especially the Celtics specifically want to open up. Yeah, and it's really interesting, too, when you think about it. Even if you just look at the last 20 years since the, the turn of the century, 2000, like, the Lakers have won how many? Like, six titles? Eight, eight appearances? And the Celtics have only won the one that was in 08. Yeah, no, the Celtics, uh, the, I, I like to say that the Celtics have been just as successful as the Toronto Raptors over uh, <laughs> like the last 30 years of the NBA. So, you know, like if they want, if that's like something they want to cling to as a badge of pride, then they can take that one too. <laughs> that, that's that's definitely fair. And Zach Lowe did give a very good response about that. That was a good response. But I, I want to know for you, so the bubble's going on, right? People like Charles Barkley were like, oh, the Blazers, they can beat the Lakers. The the Lakers stomped that out. Then the Rockets, right? You know, they have the small ball team. They're like, oh, Harden and Westbrook, maybe they can get something going. The Lakers stomped that out. Then they go to the Nuggets, who are coming back from down 3-1 against everybody. They stomped that out. Then they play the Heat. That's like the Cinderella story of the NBA, and they beat them in six. At what point were you like, the Lakers are clearly the best team, and there, there's no way any of these teams are beating them? W what point was that for you? It was it was game four against the uh, against the Portland Trailblazers because it like that was the game where obviously like that that series took five games every series the Lakers played took five games except for the finals but that was the one where it was like midway through game four and this is before like like Dame only got hurt in the second half of that game like like I'm talking about like it was like the second quarter of game four probably where like the Lakers were just stomping them. And you could just see, like, a shift in the Blazers' body language. You could see a shift in, like, it was like, oh, like, they don't think they can win. Like, they don't, like, they're not playing like they think that they have, they have a chance. Like, they're no longer defending as hard. There's a lot more slumped shoulders. Like, they are feeling the pain of playing against this big physical team for the last, like, you know, three-plus games at that point. And, like, like this was the team that was basically having to play for his life every single night in the bubble and, like, you know, had these improbable odds to make the playoffs, but still kept it together to be able to, like, to make it and get all the wins that they need to get. And the Lakers took the life out of them in three games. And I was like, oh, they're, like, really, really good. Like, you know, and, like, everybody was kind of down on the Lakers in the first round because they lost that first game. And for me, it was funny. Like, it, I think it shifted a lot more quickly and you can call me a homer or whatever but I think it shifted a lot more quickly than a lot of other people did just because all of a sudden I saw like the like supersized version basically of what they had been doing in the regular season and just wearing teams down with physicality and you start to see the cumulative effect of that over a playoff series and then you saw the same thing against the Rockets like they 
truly gave up, but like by game five, you could tell they kind of like they kind of realized their chance, their odds were pretty low at the very least. And like you know, like the Heat, like they were they kind of rolled over in game six once the Lakers stomped on them. And like, but just for this team to be like, there were still multiple games left in the series, and they were taking the will to win out of these teams. That's when I was like, okay, yeah, they're the title favorite. Like I, I'm just not sure that I see this level from these other teams, at least not yet. And like as we saw, none of those other teams ever hit that level. For me, ironically for me, and I want to know your thoughts on this, it was as the Lakers were already clinched a berth into the conference finals and the Clippers were going to game seven against the Nuggets and the Clippers had just allowed the Nuggets to come back from down 3-1. And I'm just like, this is the team that's supposed to beat the Lakers? <laughs> yeah. Because I think everybody was kind of like, Denver can't beat the Lakers, but people are always singing the Clippers' praise. This is the team. And I was like, whether the Clippers were this or not, I don't know if they can beat the Lakers. Four, four out of seven times. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, like, honestly, I, I feel like the Lakers are, it, it's this interesting, like, rock, paper, scissors thing, where I feel like, like, the Clippers would have had, like, the Lakers are a better matchup for the Clippers than the Nuggets were, whereas, like, the Clippers were a much better matchup for, like, the Nuggets than the Lakers were. Like, there, there were tangible reasons why the Nuggets were able to beat the Clippers that just didn't exist against a team like the Lakers, and it kind of makes me think that that series would not have been as tough as a lot of people make it out to be, especially with, like, you know, we saw the mental aspect of how the Clippers collapsed, too. Like, the Lakers just didn't have stuff like that. Like, they were, um, but like, they, that was very much a team that played for each other, that did not give up, did not roll over, like, kept playing hard. Like, I, I just don't think the Clippers had that. They were front runners a little bit. And, like, I think the Lakers would have beat them, but, like, to be completely fair to the Clippers, I feel like the Lakers were a little bit better matchup for them than the Nuggets were, just because, like, like the Clippers, one of the things that we talked about all year was, like, okay, who's going to guard Anthony Davis in that playoff series? And as we saw, it didn't even take Anthony Davis to take them apart. It, it took Nikola Jokic. And, you know, we can have our arguments over who's the better player, whatever. I think it's Davis pretty clearly for the two-way impact. But, you know, there are people that will argue Jokic. Um but either way, like, it's pretty clear that the Clippers did not have what it takes to defend, like, a superstar caliber big man, e- even though, like, granted, like, those are two very different players. Yeah, no, no, I, I would agree with you there. And it's really interesting, too, because when we talked about the Lakers in the beginning of the year, we touted the Clippers as the better organization, right? You know, they have the coach everybody wants to play for. They have this superstar in Kawhi who's super clutch in the playoffs. The Lakers don't have this. The Lakers don't have that. What in truth and reality is the Clippers quit on their coach. That never happened with the Lakers. They never quit on Frank Vogel. Like, people can say a lot about the Frank Vogel hiring. They never quit on Frank Vogel. Uh, We can question Kawhi's leadership, whether the team really cared. I mean, you can't really question LeBron and Anthony Davis, how much they all cared, and they seem to be in each other and love each other. They're the moves that each GM made. I I mean, I I guess it makes me wonder why guys like Frank Lawrence, they never decided, hey, maybe if the team we're competing with is the Lakers, why don't we have somebody who can defend Anthony Davis and to a lesser extent, maybe a team like the Nuggets who have a big man in Nikola Jokic because pitting a 6-7 Kawhi on Jokic is not going to be probably what we want to do. Did you, did you just question the executive of the year? Like, he, that, that, that's the guy who made all the best moves. Like, did, didn't you see? Like, you know, he got he got Kawhi to, uh, you know, it was Lawrence Frank that got Kawhi to stiff the Lakers in free agency and, like, orchestrate a secret trade for Paul George. And then it was Lawrence Frank, like, don't forget, that, like, gave up more draft picks to get Mar- Marcus Morris and uh, Paul George when the Lakers gave up to Anthony Davis. Like, those are the types of moves that, like, it, it screams executive of the year. Like, it's written all over his resume. Okay, the, the Lakers traded, uh, got Anthony Davis for what? Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and Lonzo Ball. <laughs> yeah, and uh, several draft picks yes. and pick swaps. But still, I, I looked this up. Less draft picks than the Clippers gave up to get, like, two worst players. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, but the Clippers have the, they have the executive there. They have the best front office. I, can you just talk about the hypocrisy there? Because to me, that is just so crazy. And I know the voting happened before all of this transpired, so I will give people a little bit of a break there, right? But just the hypocrisy. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like that was that was the case before. Like that we didn't need to see them collapse in the playoffs. To know, like, like what did Lawrence Frank do? But besides follow Kawhi around all last year like a stalker, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. Like. What did he do that was such a great move that, like, no one else would have made? I don't know. Like, people people were criticizing Rob Puente. It's like, oh, what did he do? Sign LeBron and trade for 
Anthony Davis? Like, you know, like, you can say, oh, he got fleeced for Anthony Davis. Like, like, what happened to Lawrence Frank and the Paul George deal? You know? Like, like how is this not, like, I, I would have had, like, no issues with, like, let's say Sam Presti winning over um, over Rob Polinka or someone like that. Like, someone that was kind of forced into trading two stars, made out like a bandit, still built a team that managed to make the playoffs. Like, like that's an executive of the year resume right there, you know? Like, it, Lawrence Frank, like, what like what did he do that wasn't, like, a worse version of what Rob Polinka did? Like, that, that's what I don't understand, and it kinda, like, was kind of wild to me when the voting came out. And, like, that was clear when the regular season happened. Like, that stuff about the draft picks and giving up more of them than, like, the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis, that was true, you know, then. And, like, if you want to say, like, oh, like, LeBron built this team, AD built this team, Rich Paul built this team, like, okay, well, then what did Kawhi cool, yeah. do? You know what I mean? Like, like that's my thing. Like, like, like let's like, let's keep some ideological consistency. Like, I understand. If you don't want to award it to Rob Polinka for that, that's fine. Like, we have a difference of opinion and like, what the role of a modern executive is, but that's fine. Like, but don't give it to the guy that did the same thing for the other team in L.A., you know? And what do you think the role is of a modern executive, by the way? I think that it is, uh, it's a lot what Rob Polinka does. It's to, like, collaborate with the players. It's not to be this, like, top-down decision-maker or whatever. Like, it is to get guys that want like that are you know capable superstars coming into the organization collaborating with them to make moves that they like and building a team that like you know like again like sam presley did a great job at what he did or whatever but like you know and and, like free agents probably aren't going to come and sign with oklahoma city anyway like that's not a place that's like going to be a superstar free agent job so it's like a different draw like they have to treat players a little bit more like assets even though like you know, they have had their instances where they, like, don't necessarily do that. But, like, they have to a little bit more view it from a top-down role because they can't necessarily count on bringing in stars as collaborating partners. But for a team like the Lakers, like, you have to – it's not just about the stars that are currently on your roster. It's working with those stars so that, like, word gets around that you are a team that works with stars so that other stars, the, you know, city of Los Angeles, all the off-court benefits of that, and want to come there. It's just, like – it's basically like working with them and creating an environment that stars want to play in. And the Lakers did that, you know, like honestly, the it started with Jeannie Buss and the Kobe extension. And I know that a lot of people like, like say that was the Jim Buss thing, like during Jim Buss's era, like that was something that came out that Jeannie wanted to offer to Kobe. Like that was from the top down, one of the few basketball moves that she's gotten involved in. And the reason for it, and like the reason that I bring that up is a lot of people criticize that move at the time. But you don't think that giving, you know, like a gigantic extension to Kobe Bryant coming off of an Achilles injury was something that like where LeBron was like, you know, took a mental note of like, oh, like I'm getting a little older. That's a team that takes care of its starts. You know, you don't think that like something like that versus where Anthony Davis's dad said that he'd never, his son would never play in Boston because of how they did Isaiah Thomas. You don't think that you know, the way that they treated Kobe and the way that they treated LeBron when he came in there was a, was a factor in getting him to want to come to that organization. So I, I think that it's building a player-first culture, being open about you are not these guys' boss. You are a collaborator with them. You are there, like Rob Winter always says, that they're there to serve the players. And, like, I, I think that we saw a lot of that throughout his tenure of, like, working with them to assemble this roster, assemble a roster that makes sense, that isn't just their friends, but also, like, when you're looking for a player archetype, find a guy that fits in personality-wise for the culture of this team that LeBron and AD are trying to build. And I think that it's, like, a lot more collaboration like that. And, again, like, that's not – a lot of people are going to – like, they're going to fetishize, like, the guy who is, like, you know, the best at winning trades or the best at this and that. But, like, I think ultimately the Lakers' process was borne out in the results of this year. Yeah, no, and I think sometimes it's as simple as this, right? When you have two of the best players in the court and then you have players that know what they're doing around them, it is very easy to win basketball games. Sometimes I think people make this a little bit more complicated than it sounds, right? Like in the 2000s, when you have Kobe and Shaq, yeah, when, when you have LeBron and D-Wade, like, th- th- this stuff starts to make a little bit of sense, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, and if you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, like, maybe the supporting cast does not need to have a bunch of guys that are, like, known for scoring the ball. And, like, maybe even if they aren't great shooters, they're going to get better looks because of the amount of attention those two guys demand. And, like, look, basketball, like, it's funny, I was explaining this to um, my wife, because she was, that we were talking about the, the Dodgers. And I was like, and she's like, well, like, they have all these good players, like, what's going wrong? And I'm like, well, like, the thing in baseball is, like, even, if, like, you can, like, let's say Mike Trout. Like, a lot of people, like, would argue that he's maybe the greatest individual baseball player of all time. Like, or at least he's up there. Like, statistics. 
truly an individual sport played as a team game. So you can be an incredible player, but then like if the next couple guys batting in the lineup after you aren't, like you're, you're kind of SOL. There's only so much impact that you can it, have. It would be like if LeBron missed um, the playoffs. It doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're like, but if you're in basketball where there are five players on the court and you have the best two of them for almost forty minutes a night, like that is that makes a difference, especially in the playoffs where you have time to game plan and you have a defense that's built like this Lakers one. Like it, you don't necessarily have to have like you know a lights out offense to be able to make it work in that situation because you have these guys that can go get a bucket enough times when they want to, and then still run enough offense to get some guys some shots and, like, get out on the break and, like, you know, play really hard on defense. I think all of it came together, but it's like, I think that all of us, including myself, I think overcomplicated this a bit. Like, when you have the best, like, big two in the NBA and you have a roster around them that fits, like, you know, I think, like, that's probably, they probably should have been the title favorite for longer than they were. Now, I also want to talk to you about this because it's really interesting when you see the dichotomy between small ball and playing bigger. And what the Lakers did is they kind of went against the grain a little bit. You know, they were a very big team, right? You know, they had the six nine point guard, but, you know, they had Anthony Davis the four. They're starting seven-footers at center, and they dominated a lot of teams who were small. You know, Portland, uh, Houston, uh, Miami even. Do you think this is kind of like showing that, you know, you don't necessarily need – small ball two in the NBA? Because I think the Warriors kind of made it the, like, oh, my God, you need small. You need a 6'6 six, six guy. Add, like, Draymond playing center. You need the, the the floor all spread with all these shooters. And the Lakers didn't quite have that, yet they still won. Yeah, so the Warriors are an interesting comparison here, right? So, like, let's talk about that. Like, they revolutionized small ball. But when you think about it, like, it's more of, like, like I, I think that we need to change. This is something that uh, Jonathan Jarks of the Ringer, like, actually, we were talking on Twitter, and he brought up the point that, like, really, it should be called skill ball. And I actually, like, like that terminology better because what the Lakers did wasn't small. So, like, let's, uh, really quickly, let's look at the words. Like, you, you know, you say you have, like, 6'7", Draymond Green at center. You know, their death lineup had, like, Kevin Durant, who's, like, really 6'11", but listed 6'9", Andre Iguodala, like, about 6'8", six, 6'9", six, six, like, Clay Thompson, decent, pretty decent size for a shooting guard. Steph Curry is, like, about average probably for a point guard, maybe a little small, but, like, that was a lineup that had a lot of players that were long and skilled, basically. And, like, I think that too often we equated the fact that they were small with why they had success. Really, like, the, you know, it's almost more impressive that they had success despite being small because they were able to kind of make up for enough deficiencies and, like, Draymond was able to use his, like, freakishly long arms to have an outsized impact for someone that you would expect of, like, his kind of vertical height. Um, and I think that they were able to make it work like that. But the reason they had the advantage wasn't that they were tiny. It was that they were fast and skilled. So then, like, let's take that and apply it to the Lakers. Like, you know, you have Anthony Davis, who's basically like a seven-foot version of Draymond Green with, like, more offensive skills. You know what I mean? Like, like he can do every single thing that Draymond can do defensively, probably do it better and he's also bigger and more skilled offensively. Like, when you're playing Anthony Davis center, Anthony Davis is seven feet tall. Like, I posted a photo the other day. We were doing our player and review series, and I, I was, we started out with DeMarcus Cousins because um, so, we're kind of working our way from the back of the roster up. And the photo I picked was Anthony Davis, LeBron, and DeMarcus Cousins. And I was like, wait a second. Like, and I looked closely at the photo. Anthony Davis is taller than DeMarcus Cousins who is, like, a guy that we associate very much as, like, like you, if you played DeMarcus Cousins at center, you would not say that that's a small ball lineup, right? Like, Anthony Davis is big. Like, is he a little slight for a seven-footer? Like, maybe, but he has put on some muscle. Like, he's very much a traditionally sized center. So, like, what I think the Lakers' success teaches us more than anything is, like, you know, yes, like, they started Dwight all year. They start, or they, Sorry, they started JaVale all year. They had Dwight as, like, a backup center all year. They kind of limited Anthony Davis' pounding at the five, but when they downshifted, a lineup with LeBron and Anthony Davis at the four and five is not small. And, like, especially when you have, like, Danny Green, pretty big for, like, a shooting guard, wing-sized guy. You got Alex Caruso, big for a point guard defender. You had, before the bubble, you had Avery Bradley, big for a point guard defender. KCP, pretty big for, like, you know, a ball-handling defender. Like, this was a team, like, I think they embraced the skill ball aspect of it more than they embraced the small at they were I think they kind of asked, smartly asked the question, what if we put a bunch of skilled players on the floor that are just big for their position? And like I think that the way that they played big, a lot of people leaned into 
like analyzing the JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard aspect of it. But look, when they were at their best, it was Anthony Davis at the five. And like, I think those guys allowed him to preserve that level of play that he was able to have in the playoffs by not having him take the wear and tear during the regular season. I think that that was a smart kind of in-game load management decision. But then when it really mattered, the Lakers were still big. They were just more skilled, I think, too. And like, they basically, we saw it against the Rockets. They downshifted, beat Houston at their own game. I, you know, I didn't even mention Marquise Morris yet, who was huge in that series and the playoffs, maybe the best buyout signing ever. Um, and then they did the same thing against the Heat. They downshifted AD to center, and like all of a sudden, like okay, you're almost as big, but you're also way quicker and way more skilled. And I think that what we saw is like, you know, it's not necessarily the teams need to build their teams differently because you kind of have to have Anthony Davis for a lot of this to work. But we need to look at it less as like going small and more of just getting more skilled players on the floor. I, I'm sorry, I know that was long winded, but uh, like I don't know if that kind of explains what uh, you know how I view it. Do you think there's another level for Anthony Davis to go for next year? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there are like there are clearly things that he can get better at. I, I think that like. You know, we saw him over the course of the playoffs become a better passer, I think, like, and over the course of the season. Like, he was just someone that started to analyze the coverages that were coming his way a little bit better. I think you really saw the effect of LeBron working with him, Jason Kidd working with him, Rondo working with him, just, like, figuring out, like, how do you, okay, if they're sending doubles from this spot, like, where is the open pass? Like, okay, they're trying to bait you into a pass here, but, like, here's where you should really pass it. And, like, I, I think that we'll see his continue to improve as a playmaker a little bit and that's like an area where he can improve I think that I don't know if the shooting that he had in the playoffs is sustainable but if it is like that's a whole nother wrinkle for the regular season um like I, I definitely think that you know he's still he's still what 27 I think off the top of my head like there's I I think there's still room for him to grow uh which is kind of crazy like with the level he's already at so there was a lot of debate is LeBron the best player in the NBA I think he's kind of uh, closed that argument for at least now right is he the best uh, player in the NBA, but how he's much the best guy? Like I, the way I look at it is like he's the best guy. If like aliens come down, like some kind of Space Jam sequel, and they're like, okay, like you need one guy to play one on one to save the human race. That's what you want LeBron for. You don't necessarily want him for the entire eighty-two game regular season at his age, but if it's one game that matters, like you still want LeBron. How much longer can LeBron keep this up? Because it's this is amazing. Like you could argue, really, since. The last yeah, decade? The it, last decade he's been the best player? I mean, of course, there were arguments at one point. It was Steph, then it was Kawhi, it was KD. But I think at the end, we've all kind of been like, LeBron's still here, and all these guys have faded in and faded out. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it reminds you almost of, like, the last dance, right? Like, where people started to get voter fatigue about MJ. Like, and I, and I think LeBron dealt with a similar thing throughout his career of, like, you know, probably ending up with, I, I think both him and Michael Jordan, like, probably could have won MVP almost every single year that they played. And it's just like, well, like, voter fatigue. Like, not every year, obviously. Like, LeBron's rookie year. Like, you know, like, all that stuff. Like, he couldn't have won it every single year. He didn't deserve to be in the conversation last year, um, you know, with the injury and stuff. There, there are years where he didn't deserve it. But a lot of those years, like, yeah, I mean, he very much, if he would have come to play every single night and not been kind of managing his body for the playoffs at times, like, I think could have had an argument for best player in the league. And then, like, look, when it comes down to it and it really matters, like, it's the, you know, it's the alien invasion scenario that I'm talking about. Like, LeBron is still that guy for the one game. Like, when you need one game to, like, save your life, to save your team, whatever, that's the guy that you want. And, like, how long can he do it? Man, I don't know. Like, I was starting to, like, I thought stupidly going into this year, I'm like, okay, LeBron's going to take a step back. Like, he's going to let Anthony, Anthony Davis is going to kind of let him load manage. Like, he won't play back-to-back. Like, they'll be a little smarter about his usage. And, like, like no, he tried to play every single night. He played hard on defense. Like, he took it up another level in the playoffs, obviously, on that end. But he was still valuable on that end during the regular season. He had a plausible argument for winning MVP. Like, at this point, like, I don't know. Like, I'm done trying to guess, like, when this guy's going to be done. Because, like, you know, we all know that it's going to happen at some point. I think logically, like, we have to assume. But he's so smart. And, like, so much of his game now, his transition from just being the best athlete on the floor to being the smartest player in maybe NBA history, that, like, you know, like, I'm not convinced that, like, even when his athleticism starts to decline, that he can't remain, like, a top-ten player just based on the strength of, like, his basketball brain and 
stuff like that, and like his his passing, his scoring IQ, like all of those things, being able to post up a little bit more when he needs to, like all that stuff that he doesn't necessarily need athleticism for. Like I, I think he's still going to be able to have an impact. Like, yeah. You can't convince me that LeBron won't be able to impact an NBA game when he's 45, you know, like barring a career-ending injury. I'm not saying he'll play that long, but it's like the Michael Jordan thing where you hear these stories of him playing against the Bobcats and, like, lighting them up in practice. Like, Michael Jordan at, like, 50 probably couldn't have played, like, uh, an 82-game regular season. But, like, if you gave him, like, a little bit to, like, get in shape, he probably could have dropped, like, 15 or something, like, at age 50, like, in an NBA game. You I think I mean? they like, said he would guys be... Like that, I, I think they said he Sorry. would beat. I think they said he would beat guys like Stephen Jackson one on one. Yeah, no, I, I remember those stories. Like, and I, I believe it. Like, I think that when you're that smart and you're like that skilled, like it's less of like you probably can't do it every day anymore. But like LeBron, you know, like I'm not convinced that he can't play at a similar level till he's like 40. Like he'll probably start to downshift a little bit. But like you know, again, I don't know. But it, like he's just incredible. Like what we just watched and. Like, his sense of being able to manage his body and his workload and save it for, like, the moments that matter most. And, like, you know, to be able to have a game like Game 5 in the finals and be like, oh, it's all right, I'll just do that again in Game 6. I'm not worried about wasting this. And then, like, going out and doing it at his age is, um, like, we, we just need to appreciate it. We need to stop arguing about the MJ stuff and just, like, appreciate, like, because who knows how long it's going to be before we see another guy like this again. And also, too, the interesting thing about this and when you think about, like, how I can't imagine LeBron being bad at basketball. Like, if you think about somebody like Jason Kidd, yeah. Jason, Jason Kidd was a contributor to that Dallas Mavericks team when he was, like, 40 years old. I think LeBron James could be twice yeah. as good as what Jason Kidd was. And Jason Kidd was a... He was, like, the fourth best player on a team that won a championship at, at, at point guard. Like, LeBron James could and be like, three times as good as that. <laughs> no, that's a great point. And, like, I, again, I don't know if LeBron will be willing to, like, shift into role player mode. You know what I mean? Like, most guys of like, his stature don't quite do that, whereas Jason Kidd has kind of been on the downshift for a while, trying to find ways to, like, stay, like, relevant. And then I think ended up sticking around longer than maybe most stars would just because he kind of seamlessly transitioned into a role player. I don't know that LeBron will do that, but he definitely could. Like, that's the thing. Like, he could if he wanted to. I just don't know that he will. But then you see guys like Vince Carter that, you know, again, not a guy of the stature of LeBron, but Vince Carter probably, like, stuck around, like, you know, like, probably, like, what, eight years longer than, like, a lot of guys of his stature would just being a role player just because he was enjoying being around the game? Like, who's to say LeBron doesn't decide to be a sixth man on Bronny's team, you know, at some point or whatever? Like, you know, he could do it if he wanted to. I have no question. Like, because the point that you make is great. And, like, LeBron, are we sure he couldn't become a 40% three-point shooter if he just started shooting spot-ups? Like, you know, maybe not, but, like, I'm not certain he couldn't, like, if that was just what he was focused on, you know? Like, like, and he's so, like, he's such an amazing passer. Like, he's so smart in how he sees the game and communicates defensively. Like, that, he can have an impact on winning basketball for as long as he wants to. Probably not at this level, but, like, you know, honestly, we could see him play until he's 45 if he wants to. I don't know that he will, but, like, I, I, it would not, like, he could do it if it was something he desired. And the thing that amazes me, too, is at his age, I mean, would you say... I- He's a top ten athlete in the NBA. I'd say he's top fifteen. Yeah, that's crazy, right? I, I, like, that's I, even I, a question at like thirty five, like. But like I'd say, obviously, guys like you'd say Giannis is more athletic. I, I think you'd say AD is more. Yeah. I, I I mean, there's guys, but once you yeah. start getting down the list at around like nine, ten, I, I think LeBron's a top ten well, athlete. Yeah, he, <laughs> it's the single game argument, right? Like, because he doesn't use that burst every game anymore. But when he like we saw in the playoffs, when he wants to. Like the, you know, as in my favorite LeBron Instagram post of the year, he, uh, he used hashtag go, go gadget calf muscle for, uh, when he dunked on someone. And, you know, he can still use go, go gadget calf muscle when he wants to. He just doesn't do it every game anymore. And like the time, like Kobe definitely thought that. Like MJ certainly thought that from what we've seen in the last, MJ probably still thinks that he could go beat LeBron one on one. Like he's just like that psychotic of a competitor. You know what I mean? Like, um, like Kareem certainly thinks that he was the goat, or like the, is, and it probably feels slighted by the talk. Bill Russell probably thinks he was the greatest basketball player of all time. Like Wilt probably thought the same thing. Like you go down the list, like all these guys think that. Like LeBron to me is already it. You know, like I, I just think like, and again, like I'm I'm a child of the '90s, so like I like I did not start watching basketball on like a regular basis. Like I remember watching MJ's Bulls with my dad, but I was still like six or so. Like. It's not like, like, I don't remember, like, everything. So the last dance was, 
a lot of fun for me to watch like actual just like Jordan highlights and like seeing how he dominated and stuff like that. Um, to me, it's still LeBron. I, I just don't know that we've seen anyone be able to impact the game in so many different ways, be able to basically be a contender unto himself. Because, you know, again, like Michael Jordan stayed with the Bulls his whole career, basically, except for when he went to the Wizards. And I don't think it's really fair to totally count that in the GOAT argument. Like, he was clearly just kind of coming out of retirement to soak the competitive juices at that age. Uh, and that point, like, LeBron, so MJ never got a chance to do this, but LeBron, we've seen him now go from team to team to team to team and just almost instant contender at every single place. And, like, you know, like LeBron by himself just basically is like a walking final person. And, again, like, we can hold the finals argument against him, but is it really fair to hold, like, that his team did not draft as well in, like, uh, like as the Bulls did? You know what I mean? Like, that's not LeBron's fault. Um, is it like is it fair to hold that like he probably played against better teams in the finals in most of those cases with like you know not on a favorite of a roster like against him like I don't think that that's really fair I think that just if we're talking one to one like single player like is there anyone who actually thinks that Michael Jordan would beat LeBron one on one like that's my thing like and so like okay if that's not the argument are we talking team success like we've seen LeBron go from team to team to team to team and like it almost doesn't matter. Like, his, he will be able to take whatever roster, even the atrocious Cavs roster, his last year that he was there, and drag them to the finals um, and stuff like that. So, like, like to me, it's just like watching him play, there's just not a doubt in my mind that he's the best player that's ever played. Like, throw the accolades, whatever, just like, just watching him. Like, it's, like, to me, it's, 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 he's the most dominant force I've ever seen. I, I think the argument that people will make, and, and I think what's eventually going to happen, he's going to play so long, this is going to get harder and harder for people to argue. Yeah. I, I think maybe, I, I think there are some arguments, maybe you could argue peak for peak that maybe Michael Jordan was better. I think maybe there's some arguments. But when you just look at the totality, I, I mean, it's going to be like, statistically, it's just not even close. Like, No, but cumulatively, like, it's basically already not close. Like, it's kind of like, if you're, like, you know, like, Zach Lowe, again, like, them bring him up for a second time, like, he, he did a great piece on, like, LeBron's spot and the GOAT argument, like, at this point, and, like, how it'll probably never be an argument for some people, they'll just say MJ, but if you're starting to look at, like, the cumulative stats, and, you know, you factor in that LeBron's probably going to play another couple of years, like, health permitting, like, it's really not going to be close in any of the statistical categories, and so it's basically going to come down to you just saying, like, against all the numbers, against everything, like, I just think MJ was better. Which, like, okay, like, you could take that. Like, basketball is, like, the the argument doesn't just come down to numbers. I'll freely admit that. Like, but, you know, like, at some point, it's going to be really hard to make the argument for MJ beyond just, like, I think he is better. Yeah, and I think you could argue that he was better in their prime. I think there is an argument for MJ. I personally think MJ had a higher peak. But, I mean, eventually, I mean, like, when you look at the totality of everything, like, Jordan wasn't that much better, if that, than LeBron when they were both in their primes. Like, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we got to yeah, see. No, I'm with you. I, I think I thought it was LeBron already once he won the 2016 title, which is, like, I think when he said that he felt like he was the GOAT, like, that, that was when I felt it because I remember watching that final series and just being like, I have never seen a guy, like, carry a team like this and just, like, you just never felt like they could stop LeBron. And I've just never felt like teams could do that. You felt like they could stop his teammates. But I just never remember feeling like you could stop LeBron. Like, he's just an unstoppable force of nature. And, like, his size, like, it's, it's, it's Michael Jordan's, like, it's like Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, whoever you want to say, skill set, and Carl Malone's body. Like, just, like, we've never seen someone this dominating, I don't think. So, what are some moves the Lakers could make in the offseason to make sure that they can repeat? Because I think there's been some talks about some trade scenarios. I think I've heard some stuff about Chris Paul. Like, like a, There's a lot of stuff. I think Bradley Beal's name has come up. Do you think there's going to be a trade of that magnitude or a move of that magnitude? Or do you think it's going to be more like small pieces when you talk about building you know, the mid-level exception, stuff like that? Yeah, I think it's going to be more likely that it's the second one. I do think that um, they will look at trades like the ones that you just mentioned. Like, I, I think, I, you know, we're going to hear about them sniffing around Chris Paul at some point. Um, you know, like, we're going to hear probably about them asking about Brad, Bradley Beal and getting told no. I just can't see Washington trading him. I don't see what the Lakers have that would be able to outbid another team. Like, especially Beal just signed an extension. You know what I mean? Like, unless the Wizards are just hard up for cash and, like, just need to shed payroll, like, I, I can't see them trading Beal at this point. Um, but... 
Chris Paul, like, you know, that's one that makes more sense. Like, you know, OKC is a small market. We're in the middle middle of, like, a pandemic downturn. Like, maybe they just want to save some money. So they're kind of more willing to get out from, like, and get some salary relief. But even at the same time, like, I still think it's more likely that Milwaukee or, uh, you know, the Heat or another team like that is more, like, have maybe some more assets that they're able to sweeten the pot with that the Lakers don't necessarily have because of the AD trade. Um and be able to make, like, a trade for that guy work, whereas, like, the Lakers can mostly just give up salary relief. Like, you know, they have, they have Kuzma, like, they have, like, Alex Caruso, like, they have, um, like, the, their first-round pick this year. But I'm just not sure that, like, if it really came down to it, that they would be able to outbid a team, like, especially, like, Miami could probably put it put together, like, a better bid for Chris Paul, I'd imagine, um, for Oklahoma City. And then also you're trading him out of the conference, so, like, you know, we know that GMs like to do that and stuff when they're parting with superstar um but you know like maybe oklahoma city like they've worked with stars on where they want to go before in trades like they worked with russell westbrook they worked with paul george so maybe if chris paul really says he wants to go join lebron with the lakers maybe it happens i'm just i'm not there yet i do think that it's going to be more likely it's like the mid-level exception like getting you know maybe a guy like danilo gallinari and a, a different thunder player um you know who said that He's not necessarily concerned about money. He just kind of wants to win. And the mid-level exception this year, there are a lot of teams that are going to be capped out. Even some are, uh, there are few teams with cap space. A lot of those teams aren't that good. And so, like, the mid-level exception, if you're a veteran that wants to win, all of a sudden, like, becomes this more enticing thing. And so if you have a chance to take that as, like, you know, play for the Lakers versus play for, like, I don't know, like the Mavericks or something, like, um, like, you're probably going to be more inclined to take it with a team that looks like it could maybe repeat, and then maybe bringing in a guy like that allow like gives the team a little bit of a fresh hunger, kind of like what we saw the Lakers do in 2010 when they brought in Meta World Peace or then Ron Artest in like the 2009 offseason. I think who I think gave them a little bit of extra like, oh yeah, like this guy hasn't won yet. We got to win for him. Just reminding everyone of the intensity of like we can't get comfortable. See them make a move like that where like. It improve like bring in some kind of shooter on uh, like to help give them a different dynamic offensively. Like I, I think that's a guy that they'll probably take a look at as like almost like a like supersized uh, like version of Kuz offensively. Is Ron are Rondo and Dwight coming back? Uh, Rondo, I am not. I'm definitely like last offseason. I remember it was funny. A lot of Lakers fans got mad at me, but I said in like it was like June, and I was like, no, Rondo's coming back. Like you guys don't understand. Like. He is, or like it might have even been before that. I'd have to go look. Um, and I was like, look, I'm not reporting. I'm just telling you, like, Rondo's coming back. And, you know, sure enough, Rondo came back. I'm not that sure about it as uh, I was last offseason because I do think, like, there's a chance based on his playoff play that another team, like, maybe pays a little bit more than the Lakers are willing to. I still would be kind of surprised if he's not back. Dwight, I don't have a great feel for because, like, at his age, does he want to get one more kind of long-term deal, or does he really, like, kind of want to stick around the Lakers? Like, if I, I would not be surprised to see the Lakers' big rotation, like, next year be, um, like, the Marcus Cousins and Dwight instead of JaVale and Dwight. Um, but, like, because I don't necessarily think that JaVale's going to be back, I, I would kind of, I kind of see them maybe using him as salary ballot if he opts in, or him opting out and going somewhere else. Uh, we saw that he just sold his house, which doesn't necessarily mean he's moving. NBA players sell houses all the time. Anthony Davis was doing the same thing and just moving into a different house in L.A. Um, and so, like, it's not, like, super clear what exactly they're going to do with those two guys, like, as it was last season. But, like, DeMarcus Cousins is the guy who I would truly be shocked if he wasn't on the roster next year. Why is DeMarcus Cousins the guy that, that you think he will definitely be on? Like, like why, why about DeMarcus? So this is a team, like, you got to kind of go back to, like, last summer. Like, they, they really wanted to bring him in because Anthony Davis really wanted to, like, bring in this guy that, like, he felt like he had teamed well with in New Orleans. The partnership was broken up too early. Let's give him another shot. Let's go get Boogie a ring, like, that kind of thing. And we're able to get him to come there and, like, buy in. And then all of a sudden he hurts his knee, like, before the season even starts. They have to bring in Dwight, but they keep him on the roster. You know, they keep him on the roster through that, despite there being, like, look, he tore his, I, it was ACL, I think, right? Like, he, he it was, um, like, he was never going to play last year. There was no chance of it, like, medically. Like, no, no doctor, his agent, no one was going to let him play last year. There was no chance, like, just common sense-wise. But yet, the Lakers kept him on the roster because he was really good friends with LeBron and Anthony Davis and Rondo, and, like, those were kind of the 
around. Um, and then he goes through, you know, the criminal allegations against him. Like her still, they keep him around. They play mum, they keep him around. He's clearly rehabbing in view of the media. They're not going to cut up this guy like over this, even though he's never going to play that year. Frank Vogel, at every single opportunity, talks about, oh, we think DeMarcus can come back and really be an asset for him in the playoffs, constantly pumping up his value, despite, again, no logical or critical thinking reason that this guy would ever be able to play. And eventually, the Lakers admitted that. They cut him to bring in Marquise Morris because they needed the roster spot. But they still fought to allow him, fought to get the NBA to allow him to rehab around the team. And then all of a sudden, when the bubble's coming in, it's like, oh, like the season's resuming a little later than maybe we would have thought. Like, maybe there's a chance that the Marcus Cousins could get out on the floor. Probably not play this full level or getting close to a year from the ACL. Maybe he could get out there and play a little bit and start to rehab or whatever. Like, you know, John Wall is making noise for trying to get the Wizards to sign him. Um, but still, DeMarcus Cousins opts to sit out the bubble and continue to rehab and continue to talk with the Lakers from afar. Like, you know, you just factor in all of this stuff, how many times the team went to bat for him, how hard they fought to keep him around their organization. I would be floored if he is not back with them last, uh, like, this year. And again, like, I don't want to get them in trouble, but, like, I would be, I would honestly be shocked if there's not some kind of wink-wink, nudge-nudge, we're going to bring you back next year kind of deal that they have with him. And you mentioned Rob Blink has kind of mastered the social aspect of it when you talk about him being friends with Rondo, AD, LeBron, uh, people like that. Now, I do have to ask you this. So how much of a different level do you think that can bring the Lakers up? Because obviously DeMarcus Cousins, if for some reason he's fully healthy, he's better than the White and JaVale McGee. So do you think DeMarcus can ever be DeMarcus again? I know that's probably a stretch, but at least some version of that? No. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but no. Uh, I, I honestly think that it will, be, it will be a bad move when they do it. I'm um, like I, I think that he clearly has talent. Like he is a guy who I thought for a lot of years was undervalued because of like the Kings, and then we started to see it like with the Pelicans, right? Like you know him and Anthony Davis were incredible together, like during that year, and like just as kind of like a supersized version uh, or a super talented version of what we saw from AD and Dwight, um, where it's just like this huge physical long like front line. But then you have a guy in the market who is like way more skilled than White was. But then, like he is coming off of now three injuries in the same leg. The last one of which was completely non-contact. Like he was just dribbling. Um, like I'm just, I am not convinced that his size that he's going to be able to stay healthy. I don't see. Like I don't think. I honestly think that at this point he's a worse basketball player for this current NBA than Dwight Howard is. We will see. Again, like he could prove me wrong. Maybe he gets the best rehab in the world. He comes back totally ready to play. And you know, like look, like but I, I don't think that, that is the most likely outcome. And I think that like when they make it on the minimum, it's hard to say that it's a bad contract because like look, if he gets hurt again, you just do the same thing as last year. Um, but like. I just don't really see a way that he's going to be able to impact. Like, we've just seen too many injuries with very little, if any, contact on the same leg. Like, he's a giant, like, huge player who tries to move a lot on the floor, which, you know, we've seen has wear and tear. Like, I'm just not optimistic that it will work out for him. But, you know, again, like, you never want to wish injury on anybody, no matter what you think of them. And so, like, you know, like, I, I think, um, you know, it, obviously it would be great for him if he was able to stay healthy. The Lakers would be thrilled. I just don't really see it. But, again, I'm not a doctor. How disrespected has Frank Vogel been through this whole process? Like, because people forget how good he was in Indiana when he had Paul George, by the way. And, that, that by the way, that was the best basketball Paul George, Paul George ever played, for what it's worth, in Indiana. For what it's worth. Uh, yeah. When they, when they went toe-to-toe with LeBron and the Heat. And Roy Hibbert. People forget about what he did with Roy Hibbert and Lance Stevenson. But uh, people are like, oh, no, we can't hire Frank Vogel. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to be a puppet coach for LeBron. How disrespected do you think Frank Vogel is? Because Frank Vogel is a hell of a coach. Yeah, no, I, I think that, honestly, Frank Vogel... Um like, I think he made a mistake by taking uh, the Magic job because I think that it really, like, washed a lot of the, like, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. Like, look, it's, it's telling that you did not even reference the Magic tenure when talking about Frank Vogel as a good coach. You know what I mean? Like, that went so horribly, and I think that, it, through large part, it was not his fault. I think that he probably tried to have them play a style that wasn't exactly the most conducive to the roster. I think that he almost had to get fired to, like, go on his, and he talks about this, he went on his, like, year-long sabbatical where he was going from team to team, watching how guys played, learning about the 
modern NBA, really just like watching a ton of basketball, trying to figure out, okay, like if I get another job, how am I going to play this time and what is important to me? And I think that we saw the results of that and he had to go through all of that to become the coach that he is today. But yeah, I mean, I think that like, I think at this point he's starting to get a little bit of his flowers, but again, like he should have been higher in the coach of the year voting. Like, I, I think that a lot of the stuff that I just talked about with Rob Polinka in terms of working with the players, you can also apply to Frank Vogel and the way that I, I think his egolessness in terms of like, I do not care if I'm seen as the boss. I don't care if I'm seen as, you know, this or that or how people view my coaching. I'm going to do whatever is best for the team. And what was best for the team was working with LeBron and AD to figure out what is the best way to go about having this team play? How are they most comfortable going about everything? And, like, I think that we saw throughout the playoffs the defensive adjustments the Lakers made from game to game, the lineup decisions, like, I would say 90% of them were incredible. And, like, you know, I, I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. I think Spolstra at this point, like, we have to say is probably the NBA's best coach. But Vogel is right up there. Like, with, uh, you know, like, I think Nurse is probably number two. But I think Vogel is a strong candidate for, like, third. Oh, so you think Vogel's a top five coach? Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely think no. so after watching this year. It's just, like, the way that he was able to take different different lineups, different rosters, like, figure out the best way to play with all of them and, like, be able to figure out the best ways for the Lakers to beat other teams at their own style on the fly. The way that they made adjustments just off the tape with very limited practice time, I think he's an incredible coach and incredible teacher of the game. I also think that his egolessness and the way that he works with players makes him uniquely well-suited for a job like this. And actually, I'd probably pick Kerr up in there as well. But uh, it's really when you mention him. Like, if you were to ask people, I, I feel like if you were to do a blind test and just ask fans, who's a better coach, Frank Vogel or Doc Rivers? I feel like people would still say Doc Rivers. People would definitely say Doc Rivers because he talks more, he's more personable, tells better stories. Like, he has the Celtics tenure, like, you know, that has stuck with it. For whatever reason, Doc Rivers gets credit for that. It's like the only coach to ever get credit for winning with stars. Like, <laughs> I know. He, I don't get it. He, he had Kevin uh, Garnett, Paul Pierce, because, Ray Allen, and, and Rondo. Yeah, like... <laughs> But, like, look, like, Doc Rivers, he blew a 3-2 lead against the Lakers in the finals. He's blown more 3-1 leads than coaches in NBA, in, like, any coach in NBA history. And I thought, like, I think it was Tom Haverstra wrote an article. He's like, oh, like, this is, like, a funny meme, but do you know how good you have to be to get that many 3-1 leads? And, like, da 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 It's like, okay, like, good for him, but, like, you know, you still got to win the series. Like, like what, we're just going to ignore the last three games? You know, like... I don't know. I, I, just, I think Doc Rivers is one of the most overrated coaches in NBA history, honestly. Oh, so you don't think – so how, how do you think his tenure in uh, Philly is going to go? You think he's going to be able to fix that uh, the, the mess they have with uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? Honestly, I, a lot of people I don't think are giving him credit. Like, they don't think that schematically he's going to be able to fix it. I do think that, like, there is something to him being, like, a motivator and leader of men. He's obviously one of the best in the league at that specific aspect of coaching, I think. And so I think that, like, just if anything, you're going to see that team play harder next year. I think you're going to see the locker room be a little bit more functional. Like, you know, we'll see. But, like, I do think that they will be better. But, like, I also don't think that he's necessarily the solution to what ails them. Well, I, I mean, hey, I don't know if he's that big of a move. I mean, the Lakers, the Clippers quit on him. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. But I also think that, that Clippers team was uniquely poor constructed from, like, a heart standpoint. Okay, how so? Uh, like, I just think that you have a lot of guys that, like, you know, you have the whole, like, dynamic between the, like, all the guys who were part of the plucky eight seed, and then, like, they were upset because they weren't being treated like stars anymore, and Kawhi and Paul George were being given favoritism over them. You saw, like, Kawhi, I don't really think is a leader that much. Like, you know, you, you the Clippers tried to give him credit in the media, but, like, when have we really seen that from him? Like, he's come into teams with established leadership structures and played incredibly, but I don't think that we've really seen him lead a team, and we start, saw that this year. This was the first place where he's, like, picked his next destination, picked his roster, and then we haven't really seen the team fall in line behind him. Like, even with the Raptors, you have, like, Danny Green, you have Kyle Lowry, like, all these guys for people to follow a little bit, more so than they did with the Clippers. Like, I, I think that they, in large part, folded because I think that, like, the two guys – top of their roster like I just don't think we're like natural leaders of men basically like we, we haven't seen we see Paul George like talk this big game or whatever but then he like wilts in all these big moments and you know like I, I don't think that he's necessarily a leader I don't think that, that locker room was really 
constructed from like a heart. We saw that the Clippers were front runners this year. Like they were the team that was laughing and trolling when they were up. But when they got in tight games, you know, you didn't necessarily do the same thing. And so, like, I just think that they were like front runners a little bit. I don't necessarily fully assign blame to Doc for that. I think that team very clearly didn't like each other and didn't necessarily want to be in the bubble. Okay, now when you say that, there were reports that apparently there was a lot of uh, people were not happy with how Paul George was mainly treated. And I think to some extent people weren't even happy with Kawhi, but, but more so Paul George. How much of that do you think is true? And names, and I believe people specifically mentioned guys like Marcus Morris who weren't happy, Patrick Beverly, and Lou Williams. Yeah, so, I mean, that does not surprise me at all. And, like, honestly, I 1,000% believe it because we've seen it reported across outlet after outlet after outlet. And that, at the very least, you know, I thought that it was interesting that a lot of those reports came out after Doc Rivers left the organization. So, wanted to wonder where uh, where they were getting that information from and all these interesting <laughs> stories of the locker room. Like, um, but, like, you know, we saw that throughout the year as well. And so, you know, like... Like, I, I think that there is something to that, and I think that we heard it, so many similar accounts from so many different reporters that it's like, how can you not believe it at that point, right? Because, like, it's one thing if, like, one person is trying to get one story out there through one reporter, and then other ones are trying to check into it, and it's not really coming out the same, but, like, if everyone is hearing the same thing, I think at some point, like, you have to believe that there's truth to that. Is Kawhi Leonard overrated? No, 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 no. I, I don't think that. I, I think that, like, Kawhi's an incredible basketball player. I, I think that he is, I just think that he's so silent and, like, so, like, determined to kind of do things his way in terms of the load management, in terms of, like, all that stuff. I don't know that he's necessarily the best, like, franchise leader, player, or whatever, and I think Paul George is, like, uniquely poorly suited as a second banana in that respect. Like, let's just say, like, okay, let's swap places. Paul George comes in to the Lakers with LeBron, you know, uh, Anthony Davis goes to the Clippers with Kawhi. I think Anthony Davis would have been able to kind of pick up the slack from the leadership aspect of it a little bit. I just don't think that Paul George is a guy that guys want to follow like that. Well, e even when you think about this, too, if for some reason, let's just say for some reason you flip Jimmy Butler for Paul George, how differently does the Clippers season go and the Heat season go? So it's wild because, like, I, um, it's funny, I went back and I found a, um, like report from last summer where I was writing about the Lakers having interest in Jimmy Butler. But one of the things that I noted in there was like that there were reports that Kawhi tried to get Jimmy to go to the Clippers with him. And this is before all the Paul George stuff. And it is crazy to think about how that would have went. Like, I honestly think the Clippers might have, like, you know, they could have beaten the Lakers, I think, with Jimmy Butler and Paul George's place. Like, I think that talent-wise, they're similar players, but I just think Jimmy Butler has that stuff where, like, guys actually want to play for him, want to follow him in a locker room. Now, I don't know how well he would have gelled with Kawhi. Like, we've seen that go poorly when he views guys as, like, you know, not necessarily, like, great leaders. Like, he is not a guy who's shy about expressing his opinion. But that said, I think that he would at least see Kawhi as, like, you know, I don't think Kawhi's soft by any means. I think he is a silent killer. I just don't know how well that leads itself to, like, leader of the locker room perspective. And I think Jimmy could have picked up slack for that in a lot of ways. I don't think that Paul George was able to. And do you think that maybe the issue, too, is that I feel like sometimes as an adult and as a basketball player, but in life, you have to evolve. Like, LeBron... From when in 2007, when he first took the Cavs, right, and they were awful at the championship, and now how LeBron leads and deals with people is completely different. If you look at Kobe, right, 2000 Kobe is much different from 2010 Kobe and how he speaks to people and how he deals with people. Uh, you can even talk about Kevin Durant. I, I mean, there's a litany of players you can go through. Like, do you think at some point Kawhi has to look at himself and be like, okay, you know what, I might. I might have to get out of my comfort zone, like in any work environment, because the people that are following me, it, it helps them. And, you know, that's part of my job is being the leader. I mean, maybe, but, like, I also just think, like, at this point, we've seen this is his personality. And, again, I'm not trying to have this be, like, the, like, you know, like, shit on Kawhi thing. Like, because I think that, like, I think he's an incredible player. I think he's, like, easily a top three to top five NBA player. Like, you know, just for, like, game to game, when you need him, whatever. Like, you know, obviously they wilted down the stretch against, and that, that goes against him, like, on Nuggets, too. Um, like, uh, the second half, he only made, like, one shot in, uh, in, in during game seven. Like, that is something to critique him for. But that said, I do think that, like, he has the right mentality to play hard. I just don't know that we necessarily, like, 
I don't know that he's ever going to be the vocal leader guy. I just think that we've seen him for enough years that I just don't think that that's in him. Now, lastly, what I want to ask you is just give me a couple teams who could pot- potentially compete with the Lakers next year. Well, look, like, you know, I just slandered the Clippers for, like, 10 minutes, but <laughs> I, I think the Clippers are going to be as motivated as ever. I think they're going to be better because, like, they can't be worse, you know? Like, they're going to make some off-season moves and, you know, get some guys out. Like, they're going to, like, they're probably going to have some addition by subtraction by getting rid of Montrezl Harrell and just having, like, a big that can actually, like, compete defensively somewhat. Um, you know, like, I, I think that they're going to be more motivated next year. They're going to have heard the entire summer of slandering just, like, the last 10 minutes that we just did of online, you know, whatever. Like, they're going to be better and more motivated than they were uh, this year, next year. I think that there's a chance the Nuggets improve, just continuing to grow with that young core and compete. I still think they're not, like, going to be able to – I think they're a bad matchup for the Lakers, but maybe they can get a little better, challenge them a little bit more. Um, like, I'm trying to think of, like, other teams, but beyond those two, like, in the West, I'm not sure that, like, I totally see it. Like, I mean, the Jazz are as fraudulent as it comes. Like, I just don't see them, like, winning anything as long as Gobert's there. Um, like, I just – you know, like, I, I'm not sure, but, like, I see it. From, maybe maybe Dallas, if Porzingis can stay healthy for a whole year, but that's, like, a huge if. Um, I, I'm just – and I still don't think that they are really at a point where they can challenge the Lakers, but that's the type of team that maybe could. They're really big and long, too. Like, they can deal with some of that size and physicality. So maybe, um, you know, with another year of growth from Luka and, like, maybe some health from Porzingis. But, like, outside of that in the West, I'm just, maybe the Warriors, you know, like, if they start to return to form. But, again, that's a big if. It's been, like, a year since we saw them. And, you know, like, how much did the injury staff guys? We don't know. But, like, they're definitely a team that's up there, too. I completely, It's telling that I forgot about them, but that's because they basically just took a year of sabbatical. But they're up there as well. Brooklyn? Oh, okay. So we're talking whole league? Like, I, maybe I, I'm just I, – I need to see KD play a couple games. You know what I mean? Like, I, I need to see, like, how he's looking after one of the worst injuries a basketball player can go through. I think that he, skill set-wise, is uniquely well-suited to come back from that just because it's not like he was, like – you know, he was athletic, but it's not like his game was predicated on leaping. So, like, like he, he probably will be able to play, but, like, you know, I, I just need to see it first before I'm there with Brooklyn. I, I think Milwaukee will get better, especially if they trade Chris Paul. I think that they're, like, all of a sudden, like, a real, real threat. Um, you know, Miami, maybe there's some chances that they make some moves to improve. Um, you know, I, I think that, like, I think those are, that's probably where the list, uh, like, begins and ends. Maybe Toronto, if they can find some, like, Toronto is, like, uniquely well-suited to defend the Lakers. We saw that in the bubble, and we saw that throughout the regular season. They're a bad matchup for the Lakers uh, because of how much length they have to defend. Um, and so maybe if they make some moves, some more growth from Pascal Siakam, they can challenge. Um, but I'm not sure that I'm there with them yet. Any potential for Giannis in L.A. eventually? I mean, of course, like, there's, of course, potential. I just think that that's, that's a big if, and it's going to depend on what the Lakers do this summer. Like, if they trade for Chris Paul, all of a sudden Giannis is out because they don't have the cap space anymore. But And, like, next summer, like, it's kind of predicated on, like, do you think LeBron's going to retire? Because I don't know that I necessarily see Giannis coming and joining him and LeBron, like, taking the minimum or something to give them space. Or, like, do you see LeBron leaving and going back to Cleveland? Like, I, I just... I don't know that I see it for both of them together in L.A., but I do think there's a chance. I mean, there's a reason they kept Kostas around all year. You know what I mean? They're probably going to keep him around next year. Like, they're trying to, you know, give Giannis a sense of what it's like to be a Laker. And so, uh, and like, in the same way they did with bringing in KCP the year before LeBron. It's like, uh, you know, like, they're basically bringing in an emissary and telling them about how great the Lakers is and letting them, you know, tell uh, their compatriots about it and see if they want to come join. But I, I think that, like... You know, like Miami, the Raptors, like these other teams are probably more likely for Giannis than uh, maybe maybe the Mavericks like are more likely for Giannis than the Lakers are at this point. Well, Harrison, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, I'm happy to do it anytime. Just uh, you know, I, I just tell people to if if you're not tired of hearing me talk yet, check out the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. Check out SilverScreenRoll.com where you can hear these rants in written or you can read them in written form. Um, but, yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. I, I appreciate you uh, waiting until the championship chase quieted down a little bit uh, to, you know, uh, give me a chance to jump back on here. And once again, I want to thank uh, Harrison Fagan 
for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Definitely want to get him on again in the near future for sure. Really enjoyed the content and the conversation. And like I told all of you, uh, what we're going to be doing Monday, going to have a 20 for 20, uh, me and Ben Karen on college football. Uh, and then on Wednesday, it's going to be a recap week eight of NFL action. Now, if any of you, this is your first time listening to the podcast and you want to listen to me regularly, always going to be here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Usually on Mondays, we do NFL recaps, Fridays, NFL previews, Wednesday, special guests, maybe a little bit of other different content. Always depends, kind of always leave that open. But definitely with the NFL season going on, definitely been covering that hard. And if you like the podcast, subscribe, leave five stars on iTunes and If you don't, for some odd reason, don't say anything. Because you know what your mom always told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. But I want to thank all of you for listening to this episode. The 216th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.